the Epistle of James often contrasts one thing against another. So he will contrast riches against poverty, hearing against doing, and so on. So we're contrasting here two types of wisdom. The wisdom of the world, which we can perhaps call false wisdom, and godly wisdom, or the wisdom of God, which we will call true wisdom. You know, we are living in a time where we're seeing lots of issues contrasted in uh, polarized ways. Some are for Brexit, some want to remain. Some are for abortion, some are against. All sorts of challenges that we have in our world. And James is addressing this division and this contrast between what is we, we could define as wisdom. And he asks an important question. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's a key question. How do you know who to believe or who to follow? James is contending that wisdom is not just about educational credentials, positions, status, or even charisma. But wisdom is about how we live. So wisdom is not simply just knowledge, but it's how we apply that knowledge. It's how that knowledge affects our behavior. Now you may have passed your driving test for so many years ago. But you know what makes you a good driver is not just that you've passed your test. It's not that you've got a nice car. It's not that you uh, have got your MOT and your insurance and you've paid your road tax. That doesn't make you necessarily a good driver. What makes you a good driver is how you actually drive. How you uh, behave on the road, how you navigate certain circumstances, decisions that you have to make sometimes quite quickly. Um, because you see a child that could potentially run out into the road. I was talking to someone the other day about um, these driverless cars, you know, and saying, God has really blessed the human race with knowledge for a driverless car to negotiate all the things that sometimes we take for granted because we can see, we can hear. You know, sometimes I'm driving and I don't see the ambulance or the police, but I hear it. And immediately I'm trying to suss out, where is it? Is it behind me? Is it in front of me? Is it trying to go across at the crossroads? Or you see the flash of a blue light. So for man to design something that can process its surrounding and work that out, that's, that's just amazing. You know, but a good driver is one that drives well and makes good decisions. 
and responds appropriately to the surroundings. And so it is, if we are to be wise, we have to respond appropriately to life's challenges. James points out, points out two things you will see in the life of a mature believer. One is good conduct or good behavior, and secondly, good works or good deeds. All under the banner of meekness. Our example is Jesus Christ, who described himself as meek and lowly. And you would have heard someone say that meekness is not weakness. But meekness is power under control. So James asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? And let me ask you, is it someone who has power that is under the control of the Holy Spirit? Would you say that person is wise? Or is it someone who has a loose tongue and uses their tongue to blast people's lives to pieces and creates havoc. Would you say that's a wise person? I'll let you answer those questions. So James is drawing here a distinction between two kinds of wisdom. And in doing so, he shows us two points of view from which we can look at the world. So let's look at verse 14 and 15 first of all this is what James writes about the wisdom of the world but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom does not come down from heaven but it is earthly on spiritual of the devil. Notice here that worldly wisdom is based on envy and selfish ambition. That's the foundation of worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is centered on one question. What's in it for me? Selfish. Envious. People who operate with worldly wisdom are preoccupied with themselves. Not so much concerned about others and wanting to know how they can get their own way. James says that these people not only are self-absorbed, they boast about this fact. They are quite proud of the fact that they are not governed by any higher law. They have a pronounced sense of superiority towards those who do not see things as they do. They are determined to submit to nothing other than their own desires have no room for God. 
The story is told of two men who lived in a certain city. One was envious and the other was covetous. The ruler of the city sent for them and said he wanted to grant them one wish each with this proviso. That the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. The envious man was ordered to choose first, but immediately found himself in a quandary. He wanted to choose something great for himself, but realized that if he did so, the other would get twice as much. He thought for a while and then asked that one of his eyes be put out. <clears throat> that story illustrates the wisdom of this world that's founded on selfishness and envy. That man would rather see himself harmed so that his friend or colleague would receive double the harm than to receive a blessing and see someone else be doubly blessed. You know, something we have to learn to do is rejoice when God is blessing other people. You've got to rejoice when God is blessing other people. And it takes a certain sense of being secure in who you are in God to do that. Amen. That's why I don't worry if somebody can preach better than me. I rejoice that God would choose to use somebody else who was a sinner like me. Saved, washed in the blood, cleansed by the word of God. Let's not let the wisdom of this world influence our decision making to the detriment of ourselves that's how evil heart of man can be desperately wicked the characteristics of worldly wisdom the scripture says in verse 15 of James chapter 3 such wisdom does not come down from heaven it is earthly unspiritual or sensual as it says in the King James Version it's of the devil. The term earthly means it is wisdom that is drawn from the world rather than God. It does not consider eternity. Wisdom that only considers the here and now. It doesn't look beyond this moment. It's short-sighted. That's what it means when it says that ungodly or worldly wisdom is earthly. And then James says that it's sensual, it's unspiritual. Not governed by the Spirit of God, but by the flesh, covered in the natural. And we know that Galatians 5 tells us that the flesh betrays the things of the Spirit. Those who embrace this unspiritual, worldly wisdom 
do not always recognize that their wisdom is unspiritual. Being spiritual is a popular thing today. However, if you listen to folks around you, they discover they have a God who has no power, no authority. It's the God that they create. People create their own idols and they are not accountable to these idols. So they can enjoy themselves and do as they please because they don't believe they'll be brought to account. But that is wisdom that is unspiritual, sensual. And ultimately James says that false wisdom, worldly wisdom, is demonic. In other words, this wisdom comes from the devil. Worldly wisdom is rooted in lies that we sometimes believe. And in believing those lies, we're saying that we know better than God. You know, James calls out the devil in his epistle and calls him the father of lies. I'll never forget a, a quote from a Bible teacher called Ed Cole. That says, the closer a lie is to the truth, the more damning it is. You know, when a lie is obvious, everybody knows, you know, that's, that's just not true. But you know, the devil, we want to feed us by, by various means his lies and wants us to believe those lies. And in doing so, turn us away from God like he did with Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. That they would want to be independent from God and trust in themselves. Let's be aware that the wisdom of this world is earthly. Only thinks about the here and now. It's unspiritual and it is demonic. James says in verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So this is describing to us the results that worldly wisdom produces. Disorder and every evil practice. Imagine a situation that you are a school teacher and you have a lesson that's going to last about an hour and for some reason you have to be called out of your lesson for 30 minutes. And you say to your students who are quietly working away, I'm going to be going out the room I'll be coming back soon. Continue to do the work that you're doing and I'll see you when I come back. And you leave out the room and you come back in 30 minutes. Do you think when you open the door, your students will have their heads down, quietly working away? What do you think you would find? Probably people throwing paper. <laughs> Probably got their mobile phones on. You may have a few doing their work, but the majority probably will be just talking. 
and just doing their own thing. You said chaos, disorder. Well, that's like our sinful nature. When we are freed from standards of truth, we descend to places of depravity. When we allow the wisdom of this world to govern us, by taking on board worldly wisdom, we will end up in that place of chaos if we're not careful, even though we are Christians. That's a solemn warning to us. Paul warned his colleague Timothy about the days to come. He says, in the last days, there will be difficult times. Listen to these verses, all talking about self. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, all about self. Scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will be betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Does that sound like Paul's describing the world that we live in today? I think this is bang on, up to date. And that's why the world's in a state of chaos, because there is no absolute truth, is there? Everything is relative. So if you're a big corporation, it doesn't matter if you oppress the poor in order to make more gain for yourself because there's, there's no absolute truth. It's all relative. I, I, I can do that. I can take advantage of people to make more money because I'm not going to be accountable to God. That's why people live and just do as they please because they don't feel any sense of accountability and you can make up your own truth. And if you feel good about it, then it's okay. That's where the world is. It's all about me, myself, and I. All this is a consequence of worldly wisdom. Now let's look at the contrast, godly wisdom, which is in James 3, 17 and 18. And James contrasts worldly wisdom, which, of course, is not really wisdom at all. He contrasts that with godly wisdom. And he gives us a stark difference. You know, one thing I've learned about God, that he never tears down without putting something better in place. So James is torn down in his description wisdom of the world but he has something better to put in place amen so the foundation of true wisdom James says in verse 17 comes from heaven 
So it's not something that we create or something that we discover or something that we look within ourselves to find. This wisdom is revealed by God. Godly wisdom comes from God's disclosure of the meaning and purpose of life. And this revelation of godly wisdom affirms the sovereignty or rule of God rather than the godness of man. Godly wisdom affirms objective truth as revealed in scripture rather than truth being determined by public opinion. Godly wisdom affirms man as created in the image of God for an eternal purpose rather than as just another being in the evolutionary cycle. Godly wisdom affirms earthly life is the precursor to judgment and life beyond the grave. I want to look at seven characteristics of true wisdom, godly wisdom. There's a list there in James 3.17. Notice that it starts with the overarching characteristic, which is purity. It says that the wisdom from above is first pure. I look at this kind of in two ways. Because James has said that this is first, perhaps we need to take note of the order in which the other characteristics comes. Yeah? So he's saying first it's pure. But I also see it as a checklist. So if you are facing a, a decision and you want to test in making this choice, Am I acting in God's wisdom or not? Here's a checklist that you can go through. So it's saying, first of all, the wisdom that you are accessing and decision you're about to make, does it lead to purity? The word purity refers to being innocent, pure, or blameless before God. So let's say you're standing at a crossroad in life. You've got to make a decision and you are unsure which way to go. Do I continue going straight? Do I turn left? Do I turn right? And perhaps you have advice from friends and loved ones. How do you judge if you are about to make a wise choice and act in God's wisdom? Well, James says, first of all, godly wisdom is pure. So I would say, is the advice you are receiving going to spiritually contaminate you? Is it going to lead you to behave in a way that will be displeasing to God? Because if the choices that we make or about to make is going to contaminate us spiritually and lead us to whether lying, gossiping, stealing, things which dishonor God, then I would say that is not godly wisdom. So that's the first checkpoint. 
is my decision making, is the wisdom I am receiving and about to act on going to defile me and displease God or is it going to keep me walking in the path which is right and righteous. Secondly, godly wisdom is characterized by peace loving. So we can say that when we make decisions that come from wisdom that is pure, out of this, that decision will come peace. In other words, we will be able to reconcile with those who have done harm against us. Our decision making should be in purity and should yield peace. Thirdly, God's wisdom is considerate or gentle. The Greek word describes a kind of person who even though they are wronged and have the right to get retribution, choose not to do so. Such a person understands the frailty of man and seeks to extend the same mercy, grace and forgiveness that they have received. Fourthly, the person who is pursuing God's wisdom is willing to yield, willing to be submissive. On one occasion, Abraham Lincoln, to please a certain politician, issued a command to transfer certain regiments. When the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out, saying the president was a fool. When Lincoln was told of this, he replied, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be. For he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. As the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake. And without hesitation, he withdrew it. A teachable open spirit is often a major key to diffusing conflict. When we make choices, is there any submission in our choices? You know, I've seen people who, who knowingly are heading for a ditch. And people give them wise counsel and they just keep going. You've probably done it yourself. <laughs> Because sometimes we're so stubborn, aren't we, and hard-headed and know-it-all, stiff-necked. <laughs> but you know, godly wisdom, James is saying here, teaches us to be submissive. That if we're heading for disaster, for a crash, why crash? Why end up in that ditch or that cul-de-sac when there is wisdom around you and maybe for pride you don't want to accept it because you want to prove you are right. I remember a story of a preacher who said he, a young lady came to him wanted to marry an unsaved gentleman and he advised her not to do it. And she went ahead and married this gentleman. 
And then she came back some years later, broken-hearted. Three children, they are separated and they are divorced. Her life was in tatters and she admitted, you know, that advice she gave me those years ago, I knew it was right. But I didn't take it on board because I just wanted to prove something to myself and to others around me. Godly wisdom has that element of being submissive in it. But if you know we are heading for disaster and you get God's wisdom, you are humble enough to change your decision. There's no shame in that. Spare yourself of much pain with some little pain now. The little pain of just humbling yourself, putting your pride aside, is going to be much less than the heartache and brokenness. Sometimes if we just headlong go into trouble. Fifth, he says that God's wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. This person is gracious, kind, and characterized by the fruit of God's spirit, which we know is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Six, the person pursuing God's wisdom is impartial. This person does not embrace prejudices and stereotypes, which we all do from time to time. So we need to practice being impartial. And James dealt with this earlier on in his epistle. And last of all, it says that one who pursues God's wisdom is one who is sincere, without hypocrisy. They are genuine. And look at this contrast, the result of true wisdom. James says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness, whereas earthly wisdom produces conflict and animosity. Godly wisdom leads to godly living. Those who live by God's righteousness stand out from the crowd. They are different from the rest of the world and bear good fruit. I want to close by sharing four things I think that will help us to pursue godly wisdom. The first is to be a student of God's word. If you are serious about finding God's wisdom, to me it makes sense to listen to God's instructions and understand what he has to say to, to you and to us in his word. I would suggest a good place to start is with the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Read the red. What does Jesus actually say? What wisdom does he impart through the, the written word? I want to recommend that you perhaps also read the book of Proverbs. It's packed with practical wisdom that will help us uh, to, to live godly. And then we're going through the book of James, but the book of James is also an excellent place 
to uh, read about God's wisdom. So the Gospels, the book of Proverbs, and the epistle of James. We need to be students of God's word. My second recommendation is that we need to understand what we believe. So we read, but we need to understand what we believe. Peter tells us to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us the reason for the hope that we have. I always say, you know, it's great to have a car or a mobile phone or gadgets and they work. You know, you get in your car, you turn the key and you drive places and you don't really care what's happening under the bonnet. I mean, how many of you drive along thinking, yes, the piston is going up now and the other one's coming down and you don't do. But when that car goes wrong, somebody better understand how that car works. And that's how I see the Word of God and I see doctrine. We need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. We need to be able to explain to our friends why we believe what we believe. We haven't just been brainwashed. You know, there's a, a, a level of understanding that we gain from the Scripture that we should be able to communicate simply to those who ask questions of us. So that's important. We need to understand what we believe. Thirdly, I believe that we need to defend ourselves against worldly thinking. So much of the way we think and the decisions that we make is based on what we get from television, from the pop stars, from the sports stars, because so-and-so said it, well, it must be right. Because they do it, because they use it, because they go there, they're endorsing it. But we need to ask ourselves when we hear these things, what values are being advocated? What wisdom is being dispensed? And we need to guard ourselves against the tendency to believe Everything that we hear, even if it's repeated over and over and over again, doesn't mean it's godly wisdom. Have you noticed the media trying to ram certain things down our throats? <laughs> Get you to believe it. It doesn't mean it's right. So we almost have to have like a, a filter over our eyes and our minds and our ears. And let me say that everything that we hear must be measured up against the Bible. Against the written word of God. We must evaluate all things against the standard of the world. doesn't matter who's saying it. We have to measure it against the Bible. Amen. Finally, we must live wisely wisdom as I said at the outset is not just about having lots of wise thoughts or quotations or statements but it has to affect our behavior to the point that people notice 
there's something different about you. And we'll want to come and ask, how are you like this? How do you live like that? People are drawn to us because they notice something different about us. Because we don't just hear or even understand and can explain, but we walk it out, as our theme is, we, we walk it out in faith. Faith that walks. We're walking out the wisdom of God because it translates from knowledge into action and affects our behavior and the way that we live. So I hope we'll take these challenges on board. Be a student of God's word. Understand what you believe. Defend yourself from worldly thinking. And live wisely by God's wisdom. As I close, I wonder if there's anyone here in this sanctuary today who is at a crossroad. You've been pondering making a decision. And maybe it's a big decision. And you're unsure what to do. Maybe two sets of voices tugging and trying to get your attention. Do I go this way or that way? I want to pray for you that you will make the right decision. And I want to advise you to perhaps go on the website in the week and download this message or read the passage of James yourself. Use the checklist in James 3, 17 and 18. Is this decision going to defile me or is it going to keep me walking in that path which is pure, which is righteous? If you're here, I want to pray with you before we close the service today. Your handmaiden, your daughter who has sat in this service and made a decision to come to Christ. Lord, acknowledging that you are wiser than she is. You are wiser than all of us. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness indeed. Lord, we thank you for the courage and braveness that she has exhibited to even come forward to this altar. Pray, Lord, in her choosing today, she would choose you for life. May her life be transformed by the power of your Spirit, by the word of your truth, by the blood of Jesus Christ. May her walk, may her talk, may her behavior, may her thinking, may her desires, Lord, lean towards you, be changed today. In the name of Jesus, lay every concern that she may have before you, O oh God, every burden, and trust that your grace is sufficient to lead her from glory to glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise Lord. Will someone, one of our sisters, please come and share with us. That you are the only wise God. All wisdom belongs to you and comes down from you, the Father of lights. We come before you, Lord, in our ignorance. 
because we need wisdom from above, wisdom that comes from you, wisdom that is firstly pure, it's peaceable. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask on the behalf of those who stand at this altar as they themselves are now asking, Lord, that you endow them with wisdom. Right where they stand now in their lives' journey at this crossroad. Father, will you give them wisdom to make the right decision today at this altar? The decision that will keep them walking in that path which is true, path which is righteous. Lord, I come against voices, contrary voices. Come against the manipulation of others. Others may want them to choose and make certain choices for their own benefit and advantage. But I pray in Jesus' name that which will honor you, that which will glorify you, that which when others look and see will be drawn nearer to you, God. May those choices in this place be made today in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. Thank you for the decisions that are being taken even now. Come against spirits of confusion. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for clarity in each one of these circumstances. Clear away the mist and the fog. In Jesus' name. And let your absolute truth, Lord God, be seen. Minister in a personal way, Lord. In these lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. In a way that it, they will know it's so certain that you are speaking, you are leading, you are guiding. There will be no errors. Pray that truth will reign. That they will have righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. As a result of the decisions that they take today. We know you are able, Lord, and you are doing this for this. And so we give you thanks in this house. We give you thanks, O oh God. Though we are in this world, we will not live by worldly wisdom, but we choose to live with the wisdom that you provide for us, your children. Amen. Let's give God thanks. Hallelujah.